All right, good evening, welcome. Nice to see everyone here in person and also those here online. All right, so my name is Tim Guile, and one of the guiding teachers here. Anyone who's new tonight, great welcome. So I understand I, was, I didn't have a chance to look at Twery's talk from last week, but it looks like she was exploring the nature of attachment around this topic of dana. So dana is a Pali word for generosity. It's one of the 10 paramis, these 10 perfections that we're devoting the whole year to exploring month by month. So I'll take it a little different direction and then she'll be back next week and I'll be back the week after that, just kind of the way the schedule worked. And tonight I'd like to explore this concept or this topic of dana from this lens of being selfish. You know how sometimes we have that, we're ex expecting to be generous or we have this inclination to be generous and we find our hearts contract. Maybe there's kind of a selfish energy to that. And then the other side of that is the selfless quality, right? So we'll work with exploring both of those because these can both be very helpful to, to see and understand in ourselves if we can do it without self-judgment. And taking at something like generosity is a great kind of way to, to get a handle on it, to actually see how we show up in our lives from a generous way or not generous way. And there's two ways I'm going to explore practicing with it. One is when we set up kind of a framework of, better way to say, it, I guess just a practice, that every time I'm going to be, I'm going to practice being generous intentionally in my life. So that helps to give us something to kind of lean against, to help us remind us to be generous. And the other way is to start to notice when we run up, run up against the edges of that, when we find we don't want to be generous, when that selfish heart comes up, how can we actually turn toward that with understanding, with insight? So this first way, okay, this is generally the practice of setting up an intention that I'm going to practice behaving in this way. I'm going to try acting in this way. And this can be challenging if we do it right. Hopefully it's the right level of challenge and it's not overwhelming, but it tends to go against our natural tendency, right? Let's say every time I see someone who's offering real change, I kind of go the other direction. I don't look that direction. Practice would be to see them, actually go and say hi to them, have a little conversation, you know, buy the paper. Something as simple as that. Because it tends to help us explore things opposite than our normal tendency, our natural tendency, to actually explore it in a different way. And this starts to confront our patterns, our habits of mind, and this contraction of heart, what I'm calling the self, selfish quality, is a great way to see that. I remember Joseph Goldstein shared an example of, the, of this, that he made this practice that every time he had the impulse to be generous, he would follow through on that. You know, so whenever he felt, okay, there's a moment to be generous, instead of kind of skipping over it or not being generous, he would act with it. He would act from that. As the saying goes, you know, our actions are louder than our, our words. Because we can think about generosity, we can think about this concept quite a bit, but when we actually go to act on it, it brings it to a whole no another level, doesn't it? There's another level of how do we engage around it, how we actually show it. We actually experience the act of being generous. You know, there's all the, the interplay of how do I, how do I want to be generous? How do I make contact? How do I actually give something? Whether it's my time, my energy, my money, some possession, it doesn't matter. But it's morally that reaching out and that connecting with another person, really registering that contact, seeing what that contact is like, and feeling how it what it elicits in you. So practicing generosity, we can really expand beyond just the giving of material things or giving of money. We can include things like our time, you know, how we choose to be present with someone, to actually listen to them full-heartedly is a moment, an expression of generosity. Giving someone space, you know, someone space to maybe go ahead of you in line or to... Um, take your place or something like that. That's also an act of generosity. Listening, to, you know, giving someone else space to have their own opinion or a different opinion, 
It can also be an act of generosity. So some ways to practice with that. Well, one of the homeworks I'm offering for this, this week is to come up with a simple practice that you can do more or less daily around generosity. It could be something like, when you have a choice, let someone else go ahead of you in the grocery line, in the bus line, wherever it might be. Let someone else, hey, go ahead, go, go in front of me. The act of generosity, that real change example, offering someone who's, who's asking for support. You know, offer to serve someone else um, first. Give space for another person's opinion. The actual expression of the generosity, I think, is less important than really the intention behind it, right? The act of being generous, the act of connecting is what we're looking to, to explore. And what happens when we, we aren't that way, when that doesn't come up? So what this does is we have a simple practice. It gives us this kind of framework within to, to explore, to see when we start to rub up against it and when we, we start to really sit in the middle of it. We learn how to accommodate to that structure. We learn how it starts to transform us from that. That very accommodation can transform us. And this is a practice that we do all the time, you know, whether it's in the Dharma world or in other parts of our life. And sometimes those structures can be too constraining for us. They can be too tight. Like an example from, from, a, like from the meditation retreat that Carrie and I just taught. Sitting meditation, you know, we can do it on the floor, you know, in a full lotus or a half lotus. And sometimes some traditions have a very particular way that you're supposed to hold the frame of the body, the sense of uprightness, you know, just everything has to be just so, right? This is, it can be very helpful to, to elicit that, that clarity of mind. But if you happen to not be so flexible, you know, it can hurt your legs, it can hurt your knees. You can struggle a lot with the pain of trying to conform your body into something which doesn't really fit those conditions, you know, the situation of your body. And if you're able to accommodate that posture, then there's a sense of relaxing into it. There's a switch from it being something that you're trying to fit into to it being something that actually supports you. It becomes like this foundation from which then you can you can relax into, you can open to your, your, your practice. So structure, form, we tend to hold the form a little lighter in kind of this Western Vipassana world, just to give more space for different body types, different flexibilities, also not to be so, so constrictive in how things should look. And there's aspects which are very helpful. So going back to the practice of generosity, you want to find a practice that's not too tight. You know, like there's a tight, like I have to give, you know, this much money every single day. You know, that gets a little too tight. It starts to be too constraining. But something that you can have a little bit of challenge around, you can relax into and explore. So this starts to lead into the second way of, of practicing. So there's creating that form or that practice of being being generous, right? Use your creativity, trying to find, find a way you can really um, find a more or less daily way to, to practice it. If you live with someone else, that gives you lots of options, right? You can give the other person the chance to eat food first or let them have their favorite part on the couch or whatever it might be. You can play with it that way. Strangers are a great, great way to practice with it. You know, all these little interactions of how we sometimes put our head down and just plow forward or we can step back and maybe actually make eye contact, God forbid, and say hi to a stranger or give someone a chance to go ahead of you. Right? Now, when you do these kind of practices, what I'm suggesting is you also very much notice what that elicits in you, what comes up for you as you contemplate a small act of generosity. Noticing your intention behind it. Because what really we're trying to do is understand the nature of how our mind and body is conditioned. You know, what is the conditioning that comes up? This is kind of the, one of the main purposes of Dharma practice, is start to make what's unconscious more and more conscious. 
to start to make the patterns that we don't realize are driving us, creating suffering, creating reactivity, to start to understand them and start to become free of them, to start to release them. Including the tendencies around, we say the opposite of being generous is being selfish. How does that arise? So we start to notice, okay, there's this a chance to be generous and my heart just contracts around it. There's a sense of, I, I don't want to give that up right now. I want to keep holding on to it. Right? So what does that actually feel like? So if you work this in the right way, if you explore it in the right way, you start to have access to a custom-built spiritual practice right? that's built specifically for you. It's built for, it's really maintained, it's created by all the experiences you've had, all the, uh, the traumas, the good things, the conditioning, all these things, all these different multiple layers. If we pay attention, we actually see that. We can see how we contract, how we create separation. how we create identification, how we create that sense of me, that sense of separation and relationship to it. The trick is to do that if we have to work with it in a way that doesn't reinforce it. I think that's one of the difficulties of practice is that we bring those very patterns in to how we meditate. We meditate with those patterns without even realizing that. Has anyone ever felt judgmental of your meditation practice? <laughs> felt like you weren't quite doing it as well as you should be doing it? Right? Is that a pattern that just shows up in meditation? No, you know, it's a pattern that paints a lot of our lives, right? And of course, we use that same strategy when we meditate. But we don't even realize that we've kind of bought into that conditioning. Okay, that says, I have to, I've judged everything else in my life, why not judge meditation? But we don't realize how that really conditions the meditation. It interjects a level of distortion around it because we're seeing through the tension of that. We're seeing through that tension of, of me and my inadequacy. So the trick is to start to see those patterns without becoming lost in them, without becoming um, acting from them. To actually see them in a way to such a depth that they start to loosen. They start to transform. They start to release from us. They start to release. They don't define us in the same way. They don't create us in the same way. They don't create that sense of that suffering self in the same way. Some of this happens just through sincerity of practice. When you start to find patterns starting to fall away without even realizing it. Or sometimes you notice in life you just have a different way of relating that you didn't have before you started to practice. So dropping that awareness into something like dana, into generosity, and all the things that elicits can be a very fruitful practice. Like notice when you're not generous. Notice what's being elicited from that. But the key thing is not to judge the fact that you're feeling selfish, right? Because if you judge it, you're basically just kind of Locking, you know, patterns arising of contraction, of separation, some way of protecting scarcity, protecting lack. It's contracted, it's tight. So like there's a knot in the rope. We start to judge it, we're like adding super glue to the top of it. We're making it more sticky. It's harder to, to see through it, to release it. We add that self-judgment. We don't allow it to be seen, to be open to. And that's, you know, being selfish is something that I think most of us don't really like to, to brag about. It's like, hey, I'm selfish. You know, we like to kind of hide that part away or kind of ignore it or try to overcome it. And that's one of the tricky parts about the paramis. I mean, they're called the perfections, right? So we think, okay, I want to perfect myself. That sounds good. But what do we do with all our imperfections? What do we do with the fact that we're human beings and we're not perfect? And these permies, we're going to fail at them. 
You know, if we had, if that becomes a really attention point, that for me to practice, I have to be perfect in that. It's going to be a very uh, a rough practice for you, rough, rough, rough for you to explore. But if you can turn it on its head and realize, oh, if I'm, if I lose my my balance, if I lose my way, that's an opportunity to understand what it means to lose my way. Right? What's it, what does it look like to see? The practice is actually really simple once you get that. Once you start to not judge your experience, but instead actually open to it just how it is, so you can see it directly, a lot of the f- struggle of meditation starts to fall away. A lot of the struggle with being a human starts to fall away. You start to give yourself space to be who and what you are. Right? This really goes, it really goes against our conditioning, really goes against who we take ourselves to be. And really, this is another way of saying, be mindful of it. Okay, be mindful of it. I think this is one of those, those kind of conditionings with mindfulness that often our, our judgment kind of laces our mindfulness. That we see, we're seeing more clearly, we have a more steady perception, but within that perception, we're judging ourselves. I mean, how many of us have, we started to meditate find a whole new set of things to be judgmental about, about yourself. <laughs> it's like, I used to think it was okay to be lost in thought. And now I'm, I'm judging myself for that. Okay, now I've got to judge myself for not being generous, for being selfish, right? So trying to counteract that, counteract that tendency. Because mindfulness doesn't really care what is present. It doesn't care what it's observing. Another way to say it is that it meets everything equally. It meets everything without, with this quality of heart, this quality of, of kindness, really. That just this moment is just how it is, and it's meeting it with that that openness, that receptivity. Right? Doesn't mean we act from what's arising, but we see it. The clearer we see it, the clearer we perceive it, then our actions can flow from a much more intelligent, skillful place. I think that's where we get kind of caught. It's like, if I ex- acknowledge that I'm selfish, that means I have to act like a selfish person. Right? That's not true. Or you can actually see that arising. I can open to it. I can sense it. I can see the impulse to act. But by seeing it, I have a choice. I would argue that if we don't see it, if we bury it, it actually has a much more strong way of shaping our actions shaping the way we are in the world. So this very rich area of exploring generosity starts to show us all these these things that we may not want to see about ourselves. In fact, that's the I think one of the purposes of having a, a form that we're practicing with. That something simple as intentionally practicing generosity each day, it kind of elicits the parts of us which don't want to be generous. Right? Just sitting still in a meditation period. Has anyone ever felt like not sitting still in meditation? Like their body starts to, to want to go different places, their mind wants to go different ways. But the training of it is learning to sit in the middle of that, to sit still, to use the frame of the practice to relax. At some point, something lets go in you. Some way the hindrance lets go or that pattern lets go, and then there's a, a deeper access to that stillness. So that's what I'm hoping with generosity is that we can, if we pay attention, we can see that edge and not beget that edge, not argue or not wish that edge isn't there of selfishness, selfishness, but actually see this is a gift for me to see. I'm actually seeing this, this really custom-made spiritual practice. It's called your life. It's called your conditionings. The most accurate way to Work with yourself is to meet yourself just how you are. A teacher might say, do this or do that. It might match you. It might not. But if you can start to learn the skills to perceive for yourself, whether it fits, whether it resonates, then the practice again starts to open up in ways which are are very lovely, very beautiful. Because you become self-empowered. You start to trust your own knowing, your own understanding. 
Now that selfishness, explore that a little bit more. We will get to selflessness in a little bit here tonight. But when selfish, selfishness arises, as you open to that, there's, it's often focused on some, some possession, something about yourself that you want to hold on to, you don't want to share it, right? But if you kind of look underneath the surface of it, it's often pointing toward a sense of inner lack. There's something lacking in me. There's, there's not enough to go around. There's this insufficiency, something like that. So this is an area of exploring this, this tenderness, this, this sense of, of a really pain around it. That sense of selfishness and that lack that's underneath it. Sometimes maybe we had times in our life, or maybe right now, that we don't have enough money, we don't have enough health, we don't have enough time, all these different things. We feel there's not enough here. And even in times when we do have enough, that can sometimes be a stance that we still carry forth. We still act from that. And generosity is not about having enough to give. I mean, like, it doesn't mean you have to wait till you have enough to give. You can find ways to be generous that really don't cost you anything. They don't cost, take anything away from you. It's more of a, that change of relationship. And how hard is it to just make contact with another person for 30 seconds to ask how their day is? How hard is it to say, hey, why don't you go ahead? You can go next. It doesn't take much. But if we start to pay attention to that, that really opens us up into that very stance of, of generosity. Now, just, if you explore when you do feel that, that sense of, of selfishness or that sense of, of scarcity, often what we're trying to do is, is try to feel that inner, that lack that's underneath it. But it's like if I had a water bottle with a leak in the bottom, I keep having to pour water into it. I have to keep getting things to fulfill that lack, but it just keeps draining out, right? So practice is learning to see where that leak is, to really touch that, open that, see that, and see if you can close that leak in that analogy. So I've been kind of talking about this a lot, but it's really, I think it's best as it's if it's done more as an embodied practice, a way that we can actually see it real time to make it you know, concrete. So I was having a meal with my family over the last couple of days. And there was, you know, there was, my brother was visiting and my parents were there. And, and it was interesting just to watch what came up around that because there was, you know, beautiful food set but maybe there wasn't quite enough food for everyone to have as much as they might want. It's interesting to notice that and to perceive, okay, how much do I really want, but how much is really appropriate? You know, so there's an act of that renunciation or that relinquishment. Perhaps Twery was talking about that sense of attachment to realize, okay, maybe if I'm connected to everyone sitting here at the table, that means I don't go to get as much as I, as I want. Right? So you can feel, I felt that sense of contraction, that sense of, oh, I want to get mine. I want to make sure I get my, my taste beds, you know, satisfied. Right? So feel that contraction, but making a choice to do something different, to notice the impulse of that one choice, pausing, opening to it, feeling it. You know, I like to feel things very much in my body. I like to feel the, the body sensations, because for myself, that gives me this whole other kind of litmus test to choices. Because my mind can be very tricky, right? It can convince me of anything. It can justify anything. But the body is a lot more honest. You know, the body is going to tell you, if you're, if you're say, saying something that's untrue, your body is going to rebel against that. Or it's going to tighten a little bit. It's going to be a little bit tense, right? a contraction around that. If I'm saying something that's completely honest and true, even if it might be difficult, there's a way that the body starts to relax with that. The way I can take a deep breath, right? Same thing with generosity or the lack of generosity. 
I see the impulse to not be generous, I feel that contraction. I feel that the body reacting to that, really that sense of lack. And if I feel that impulse to be generous, something else starts to arise. Something else starts to, to relax in the body. Now, generosity is one of those things we also have to explore in a particular lens. Like if you at all have a tendency, even a little bit of a tendency, to be a little codependent, a little enmeshed, that you tend to um, put other people's needs in front of yours, if you tend to discount your own needs, be a little bit of a martyr, anybody like that at all in the, <laughs> in the group, right? If you have that tendency, you have to also watch that you're going to tend to look at being, you're going to tend to mislabel selfishness as self, as actually is really you're trying to take care of yourself, right? Because you've been taught to just give and give and put yourself last. And sometimes having more boundaries, having more clarity, having more sense of, you know, self-care can feel like you're being selfish. It can feel like you're not being generous, right? So this is another really helpful thing to unpack, to see the conditioning that's been placed on you. Because right? it has a cost, right? It has a cost of being burnt out and being overwhelmed, being helpless as people, as much as, much as you try to help them, sometimes they just want to keep self-destructing. You know, just there's this, this, this way that we have to allow people to have their own lessons. And yet we can we still be careful, you know, caring for them. It's this really interesting way of practicing, of exploring practice in life. So if you start to have, if you have that tendency at all, I'd like you to also notice that. Notice that, how that might distort the very way that you're perceiving this whole topic of generosity. Because I would imagine not, not only, if not a few of you may feel like you need to be, you may be very generous in your life and you may feel, I'm not generous enough. I need to really double down on that. And perhaps the person you need to be generous to is more yourself. To try to bring the generosity toward your own well-being, toward your own needs. So if you have that tendency to be a little codependent or a little bit enmeshed, taking other people's needs in front of you, just consider also being self-generous. Put that early on in that process. Maybe that's the practice that you're going to take on. How can I be generous to myself? How can I practice self-generosity? So we've been really exploring this, this side of selfishness when we feel this impulse to be generous or this choice to be generous, and our impulse is actually to not be generous, to contract our hearts, to, to push away, to avoid. And what that feels like, to have, not, not have non-judgmental awareness of that, to actually notice it, to explore it. Now let's kind of flip it on, this, on the end on end, look at the other side of it. That when we actually are generous, how that goes into this selfless quality. So this selfless quality. Because there's a sense of letting go that is, is actually very, it feels really good. There's a sense of pleasure with that letting go. There's a sense of affirming the connection with another person or a group of people. And that's a joy that's not based in ownership. It's not based in possessions. It's not something that is, is yours. It's almost something that you're just kind of relaxing into a poem that speaks to this called So Much Happiness by Naomi Shihab Nye. It's difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there is something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands like ticket stubs or change. But... Happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house singing and disappears when it wants to. You're happy either way, 
Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful treehouse and now live over a quarry of noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches and love even the floor which needs to be swept, the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there's no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit as the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it and in that way be known. So much happiness from words, words and other words by Naomi Shehab Nye. That's the happiness that generosity inclines us to. Generosity can incline us into that happiness that we, it's just not we, something we own, that we shrug and just let it flow out of us. Sometimes we focus so much on on the suffering side of the equation. What's the origin of suffering? What's the cause of this suffering? What's the contraction of mind? What's the contraction of being tethered to the sense of self? It's equally important to notice the release of that suffering, to notice the release of, of that contracted heart. And generosity, when you really... Generosity is coming from a very different place. It's not like you're trying to show off. You're not trying to be a generous person. You're just releasing. You're connecting with someone else and releasing, sharing, giving. This affirms the sense of interconnection. And this happiness, you can start to get flavors of that, whiffs of that. That starts to become more and more how you are in the world. I think this is my tie-in to what Tori was speaking of last week around attachment, exploring attachment. Because we start to realize that we're really, all the possessions that we own, all the things we have that we hold dear, in a lot of ways we're just kind of borrowing them or renting them, that we can't hold on to them forever. And maybe that they break down, they get destroyed, they get stolen. It could be that we just lose the capacity to be able to use them. Or it could be that we are in our deathbed and we realize we can't hold on to these things. And one practice that we can use in many different ways is the five wise reflections. Right? So the five daily, the five reflections are these ones that the Buddha suggested people practice every day. And it's interesting, he calls all four categories, people who are monks, people who are nuns, people who are lay women and lay men. This is helpful across the board, across all of these. And if we use these reflections in relationship to generosity, it starts to help us relax that contraction of heart. We start to remind ourselves that, yeah, nothing is going to last forever. This life's not going to last forever. That my only possessions that really matter are my actions, the way that I act. So these five reflections, if you're not familiar, I'm subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. I'm subject to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. I'm subject, I am subject to death. I've not gone beyond death. I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. And I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and I have my actions as my arbitrator. Whatever I do for good or evil, to that I will fall heir. Right? So these five depending on what's going on in your life, they can be kind of um, a little depressing, right? It's like, oh boy. But I want us to, if you feel like taking those on, take those on from this perspective of cultivating generosity, 
cultivating joy, cultivating that quality of selflessness. Because that's the ultimate joy that the Buddha talked about, is not about becoming this kind of really special, supernatural person. It's about seeing this nature of that contracted heart of self, that sense of isolated self. Right? This is, you know, I'm jumping out there in kind of deep waters for a second, but that sense of self is really the core of what creates, what creates this unnecessary suffering. Right? And the Buddha said that sense of self that we're really believing in is actually an illusion. You just have to see that. You have to understand that. Generosity is a great way of kind of playing with that. Because when we come from a selfish place, a contraction of heart, that's really reaffirming that sense of self. When we actually release not from a dysfunctional way or a codependent way, when we're generous, not because we think we should be, but because our hearts are naturally going that way, we're actually affirming this quality of selflessness. Right? We're getting a taste of that. And that's what Naomi Shiobnai was speaking of. A quality of that, with that happiness that starts to flow, that's outside of conditions, outside of situations. So the invitation this, this week, or next couple weeks, is to practice with, with generosity, to notice, you know, try to have a concrete practice that you can, you can come up with. Maybe if you have a Dharma buddy or you have a friend, just share that practice. This is what I'm going to do. Right? And they might say, okay, that's, that's perfect. Or maybe you might want to make it a little more doable or whatever it might be. But as you practice it, just notice it, use it as a way to kind of elicit that quality of contraction of heart and get to know that, open to it, explore it without judgment, just to understand it. And also notice when you act from a generous place, not trying to make yourself do it, but when it really comes, starts to flow, you start to see that selfish selfless quality, the quality of not being so contracted around that isolated sense of self. All right, let's just sit quietly for a couple of moments, letting those words settle. So I'm going to just review the homework uh, in case you didn't have a chance to pick one up. And then we'll have a chance for any questions you might have. So online, I did put that in the chat during the break. So you should be able to access that. All right, create a simple way of practicing generosity that you can use nearly daily. Right? Be creative around it. It doesn't have to have anything to do with Getting, giving money away or possessions away unless you want it to be. It's really the, the attitude of being generous. Generous with your time, with your space, with your energy. And play with relationships. It's really an act of being, of relating to someone else or a group of people. Noticing that's a key aspect. So notice when this practice elicits selfish, selfishness and non-judgmentally explore that in an embodied way. So what I mean by that, just where do you specifically feel that in your body? What does that feel like, that contraction of heart? How does it start to change the very way that you're perceiving? The mind starts to, to change around. It can be really fascinating to notice when the mind's in a selfish quality, if you're not judging it, you can get to see, understand that quality a lot. You can feel how your mind kind of narrows down. There's a, a tightness around it, a sense of, of Self and other becomes so important. And also notice when selflessness arises in response to generosity. What is that experience like? What does it feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the mind? What does it teach you? All right, so we have a space for any questions or sharing around this topic, or also if you have another question around the Dharma, that's also welcome. So online, 
You can just raise your virtual hand and I'll call on you. And here in the room, you can raise your physical hand. Yes, do you mind grabbing the mic so they can hear you online? So, um, is this on? Yeah, good. Can you, can you hear him okay online? Yep. So, when you mentioned the, the five things, the last one, uh, like we're the owners of our actions. Yes. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yes, I kind of slipped that one in there. <laughs> so, the, this is translated, actions is translated actually from karma, right? So, but karma, sometimes we get a little hung up around that because we kind of misunderstand it, but it literally means actions. So when we say, the, the reason that this one's here is that when we say we have an action of, of doing anything, something of our body, something of our, our, our words, or something of our minds, including thinking, what it does, we talk about neurologically for a second, it basically creates this pathway that tends to be easier for that pathway to come up, right? From a, a dharmic perspective, that, car, that choice of action to do that choice, we have to kind of get our intention behind it. We have to have a certain perspective around it. You know, there's different motivations. Maybe we're being motivated by greed or hatred or delusion. Maybe we're motivated by generosity and kindness and wisdom. Each of those choices tends to lead to some kind of, sometimes like say consequence or the karmic fruit of that action. Yeah. And we can just see it tends to predispose us, you know, just from a normal, not even knowing anything about karma, anything about um, the Dharma, we just kind of notice that. If every day after work I go have, you know, an ice cream cone, you know, that has a certain effect on me, right? It has an effect on my, maybe my waistline or my blood sugar, maybe it helps me relax. But it starts to be like, you know, if I don't have that ice cream cone, ice cream cone, I'm going to have a lot of struggle there. So it kind of sets up that, that momentum in our life. And so from a, the Buddhist perspective is that because the, everything's impermanent, it's more this kind of momentum of our, our actions, which tend to, to really be our only thing we, we possess. Thank you. You're welcome. And of course, this is also a, an urging to be aware of our actions, be aware of how we act in the world. You know, unkind way has a certain effects. People become afraid of us. A kind way, people start to relax around us. The Buddha also said with karma, it's something that, it's one of those imponderables, I think he said, that you can't try to figure it out. If you try to figure it out, it's going to basically make you go crazy because it's too complex, all the different ways that it shows up. Main thing is, how do I meet this moment? Can I meet it with as much skill and compassion as I can? That's all you have to, to remember. All right, anyone else? Yes, Adam. I wanted to share a little bit about my practice with generosity recently. Um, you, when you were talking, some things came up, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. So I've been well-positioned to receive a lot of generosity in my life recently. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about kind of, you know, you can kind of feel like, oh, I should be generous, and so I should give, or, or you can really give from the heart. And I feel like I've been experiencing that I can receive generosity from two different positionings as well, one mm -hmm. of which is kind of like, Oh, I you know, I shouldn't I shouldn't need this help. I or or you know somebody else needs it more, or from one of like a prideful like oh I like I don't want people to know that I need help. Mm -hmm. You know I want to be self sufficient, mm -hmm. and then the other which is kind of receiving from that like like seeing the connection and seeing the person wanting to give to me and seeing the transfer of energy yeah. or resources that's yeah. there and and receiving that it feels very different than if you know the same pot of chili is passed to me from those two different perspectives mm -hmm. and what i've also noticed is it feels like 
when I receive from that open position and really feel that um, I'm more aware of my own resources and my own ability to, you know, to make those connections or where my edges are with that. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to share that for me, noticing when I'm receiving somebody else's generosity and how I'm receiving that generosity has been an unexpected door into insight into my own ability to give openly and and where my resources are for giving generously as well great thank you adam yeah maybe let's uh, change the homework and <laughs> include that aspect yeah that's a powerful way to, to practice with it is that receiving generosity and that that might be a nice another addition is to this is to start to to notice that sense of receiving how do i receive generosity you know because if because, I mean, really, the, the litmus test is if you're really being generous, you should also be able to receive the generosity equally, right? Because it's really tapping into this sense of uh, interconnection, this sense of non-separation. And if you're generous, 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 and someone offers you something like, oh, no, I don't need it, I would say that's a good thing to kind of look at. You know, what's going on with that, that denial of your own needs, your own willingness to receive? And that's going back to that discussion of not judging that reaction, but observing it and noticing it and, and noticing that difference when you're coming from that, receiving that, I think you said that pot of chili from that kind of, I don't quite deserve it or someone else does more or just that, oh yeah, thank you for that, that connection, that really receiving that connection. Yeah, so it, it works both sides of the street. So thank you for, for sharing that, Adam. That's very helpful. All right, Lisa. Let's see, do you have to give permission to unmute? Okay, now try it again. Uh, hi, there were, there were two things that I wanted to um, share, comment on. One is that it, <clears throat> it is wonderful to hear you talk about um, generosity giving rise to joy. Um, I just think that's really important. And for me, um, I said this a little bit last week, um, but um, Terere talked about abundance, and um, and I I feel like um, recognizing a, my the abundance around me gives rise to gratitude, and that gratitude gives rise to a generate a a, a a desire to share to practice generosity and then that generosity gives rise to joy and it's kind of a cycle. Um, uh, and um, I'm really enjoying paying attention to that. And I'm really enjoying uh, the sense of gratitude and the sense of joy that's connected with generosity that leads to generosity, the gratitude that leads to the generosity, and then the joy that comes from practicing generosity. Mm. Um, and the other thing I wanted to share was um, related to what the person who just uh, spoke before me said is, so I am in a situation where I require acts of generosity, a lot of generosity from friends and family. I have a severe chronic illness, I'm disabled. And um, so I don't have enough money to live on. I need help uh, with basic things like people doing grocery shopping for me and doing housework for me, things like that. And it was really hard in the beginning when I first went on disability to ask for that kind of help. Like I, it made me, I was ashamed. I made, I felt weak and kind of, um, uh, helpless and dependent. And those things were really difficult. Those thoughts and emotions that I shouldn't need help um, were really difficult to work with. And it's really nice that over the years of practice um, that I finally was able to be comfortable, reasonably comfortable with asking for the help I need 
and more importantly, receiving the generosity, the incredible generosity from multiple people in my life and not um, feeling like a burden, uh, you know, not having a lot of negative thoughts and feelings in the, as a result of having to ask for help and receiving that generosity. So that has been a growth point for me that I really appreciated. And frankly, it probably wouldn't have happened without this experience of serious chronic illness. Um, so I just wanted to share that. Great. Thank you so much, Lisa. Sounds like a very rich practice. And I appreciate you bringing forth that you know, connection from reflecting on abundance and that sense of uh, fullness and how that leads to appreciation and how that leads to generosity and then from joy. And it is a cycle that the paramis start to all kind of work together. And that's that's really powerful. And then it's also that sense of, of having to really depend upon people's generosity and learning to navigate that. Because for many of us, you know, it, it is hard to be dependent upon. And it sounds like that's been a, a very, uh, even though that we would never, never wish the chronic illness, it has been a very great teacher for you. And you're, you're really growing and deepening around that. So thank you for sharing all that, Lisa. All right. What else is out here in the room online? All right, so anyone else have anything they'd like to share or ask? Yes, do you mind coming up so they can hear you online? Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, this is a story, it's a little bit vulnerable, but um, I have a child who uh, was actually um, uh, unhoused for a good part of last year. Mm. And there was a time when um, I, I agreed to pick them up and take them to a medical appointment up on Capitol Hill, you know, for Sound Health. And I don't know if you know Capitol Hill or Sound Health, but it's... Um, there were a lot of really disabled people around and um, and and not a lot of like meeting eyes or people you know wanting to stop and say hello but um, my child and I you know got I parked and um, we were walking in and there's a woman who was very disabled and she had a walker and she was elderly and I'm not sure if she had slept inside but you know and my my child and she was smoking a cigarette so of course my child did what you know you do and asked her for a cigarette and i said and i, I wasn't even thinking about it i said no no never mind don't worry you know and we kept walking and my child said why, why did you do that and i said well she has she has so much less you know let's let's not you know mm. and they said oh okay you know and we had the appointment you know they did what they had to do and as we were leaving the woman was still there and she said, please, can I, can I give them a cigarette? And I went, and I was, and I said, of course you can, I'm so sorry. And she said, I just, people have been so generous to me. I just want to have whatever chance I can, you mm -hmm. know? And I, I, this stuck with me just all year because I realize that it's not just the act of generous, it's the in being in the position of receiving generosity allows others also mm -hmm. to express their own sense of abundance and gratitude. So um, I don't know if I have a lot to say about that. I just wanted to share it because it's it was really a big moment for me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a lot to say about it. Thank you for sharing that. It, it's something about when you have so little, um, it's, it, it opens the empathy, your empathy, I guess, for others yeah. suffering and their sense of lack as well. And you're moved to, to, to help them, you know, to, to help solve it in whatever way. Yeah. I, I think that's what I, and I've seen it over and over in the, in the homeless community. If somebody has, you know, they get a, a, a $20 gift certificate for doing the point in time survey, just for example, that was one of the, the you know, they, they would get it and immediately go out and find somebody to share it with because it's the end of the month and nobody has anything and everybody understands how much, you know, this like sort of, hmm. you know, and you know, in the, I guess that sort of, 
there, there is no contraction, you know, that you see. Yeah. It's just an immediate expansion, yeah. you know. So anyway, that's... Thank you for sharing that, that, that yeah, vulnerable, tenor story. I'm appreciating it, the last three people just talking about the importance of, you know, of attending of receiving generosity and, the, and how being able to receive gener- being generosity is a gift to that giver. And if we kind of you know, push it away or deny it, it doesn't allow that, that flow to go. And so that's, that's all powerful stories, powerful sharing. Anyone else? Yeah, David. So my question is about generosity towards teachers, um, specifically Dharma teachers. Um, (laughs) So I feel a lot of gratitude towards teachers that have affected me and there's, I feel like there's this energy, a lot of energy goes into teaching that I receive. And I feel like I want to return some of that energy. Mm-hmm. And besides just cash, Donna, like I could send emails, but I imagine teachers' email boxes are crowded. They don't need to hear a thank you from mm-hmm. me after every talk. Um, like maybe sincere practice kind of brings a sense of reward to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know. How can we like return energy to our teachers? So the question question is around um, offering you know Donna back to a teacher you know beyond the the financial piece. It you know I remember Rodney once saying that you know one of the greatest gifts of Donna is just the sincerity of your practice. You know is that that willingness to really deepen in the practice to really make it your own, as you know so many of you are doing and and sharing that. I mean, hopefully all of you are doing that, but just to hear the voices that share it, I can really see that. So yeah, it's, I think that's, that's, that's helpful to have that. It's, you know, it does get a little tricky around, you know, what's healthy boundaries and that sense of, like I tend to to try to keep a little bit of, of, um, you know, boundaries around my relationships to students. But, you know, at the same time, I'm always, you know, it's always nice to hear when people are, are doing well, and of course, um, I'll be there when you're not doing well, and how to work with things. But that's yeah, that's fine to to reach out, and and each teacher has, you know, we're all human beings. We have our own ways of of what's going to be supportive and not supportive. So probably the best thing if you want to offer that, if you have a particular teacher, you want to express that gratitude. You just have that kind of a conversation. You know, what's you know, is there anything that you need? You know, is there anything that you um, your lack or some way I can express, you know, my, my appreciation for how much I've learned from, from the teachings. Because each teacher may have a different answer to that, you know, and I don't want to speak for all teachers. But thank you, David. All right, anyone else? Yes, Jean, come on up. Uh, This may sound a little strange, but I would like to ask for an act of generosity. Um, Particularly uh, those people who are on Zoom, uh, soon our building will be open and I can tell you from my own personal experience that being in person was a much more meaningful to me. And so I invite you to consider coming when the building opens because you bring to me support and uh, response that just is not uh, visible or obvious on Zoom. So please just think about being generous. Uh, I would appreciate it. Um, and I had a second thought um, that I'm really grateful 
um, that Rodney Smith is going to be talking about boundaries because I feel like in my world of generosity, I need to set boundaries and I'm not certain where they all are. Mm. Right now they're undefined, poorly defined. So um, that's those two thoughts okay, about thank generosity. You. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, so the, the act of, of being in person, you know, there is a, a generousness of just how that shared practice is much more, it's, it's more easier to perceive that. And so I know that online there's, you know, just looking at the faces, I know some of you, you know, it would be three or four hours or longer to drive up and, you know, there's, there's issues with driving at night. And there's all these other conditions that come up. So, and, you know, it's also, if you can, if you're in the area, yeah, it's great to come and, and to see what is. And Gene mentioned a new space. So we are having, we do are remodeling a place downstairs right below our feet here. And that's hopefully be done soon, <laughs> you know, hopefully very soon. It's, you know, construction takes longer than you think. But it's going to be a nice space dedicated just for Sims. And it'd be lovely to have as many people who can come. And we're still committed to having online offerings for people. So I know that that serves so many people. And uh, what was the other piece about generosity? Boundaries. Oh, Bonders, yes. So that's also a good segue that we do have Rodney Smith, who's the founder of Sims, coming this weekend. Uh, he's going to be just online, um, but offering a, a two-day retreat on Bonders. So there's still room for that. You can go onto the website to sign up for that. I think it should be an interesting weekend. All right. So I, any last questions before we call it a night? Yes. Yeah, so regarding generosity, I think an emotion that I have a difficult time with is that of resentment. Yeah. Uh, I think that's like the op what I feel like I'm generous, not, not all the time, but in certain situations, and especially if it's the same person that I'm being generous to, yeah. I, the kind of the negative feeling that I can have is that of resentment, which could feel a lot worse than the positive feeling of right. being generous. And I was wondering what your thoughts are about kind of resentment and how I could reduce that feeling. And it sounds like it's the generosity is kind of more obligatory, you feel obliged. Yeah, to it's more of an obligatory. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make me feel good at times, but then it could, it could easily go overboard and I could yeah. feel very resentful. Usually the resentfulness is more like down the line, you know, after many, many acts of generosity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, resentment is an interesting one because that's also one that can really, generosity can elicit that, you know, yeah. especially if we have this fatigue of being generous or feeling overextended. So there's, there's always, of course, the practical thing to consider, you know, depending on the, the relationship or the situation. Ideally, you have a conversation about it. It's like, like I'm feeling like I'm obliged to do this. I like doing it, but also I just feel like, is it okay if I take a break sometimes so it feels more, yeah, yeah I have no idea what the situation is, but that, if that's that's an optimum, because sometimes if we try, try to make the Dharma fix everything, and sometimes it's more direct just to be you know, a healthy adult and have those conversations. And the Dharma also is nice because it's a chance, if we can't make those conversations, or we can't do it for whatever reason, to start to, to, to work with that. So what I would say, the first thing to do is just get to know what resentment really feels like. Because that's one of those, those things we judge about ourselves. I shouldn't, I should be generous, I should not be resentful. So then we're kind of tying ourselves in a knot. I'm, I don't want to be this way, but I, you know, I just, and so we're not really able to breathe in that. So kind of open to that sense of resentment. Really, what does it feel like bodily? What does it feel like emotionally? What's the, the mind states around it? Get to know it in a more subtle way. And that, that can be a very fruitful thing. That sometimes just the observation of itself starts to loosen it. At the very least, it's going to give you more clarity around it. You know, clarity about how to navigate that more. So I think it's not so much like how to stop you from being resentful, but more, how can you learn to really understand the resentment 
and see you know what's needed. Maybe there's you need to counterbalance that. You have to give and give to this situation or person. Maybe you can fill up your own pot. Yeah. Or, you know, like remember what Lisa talked about, reflecting on your sense of of abundance. You know, notice what that quality of abundance is and that appreciation for other places in your life. So maybe you have this one, you're a little out of balance of having to give to this one area. Notice all the other areas that you're also receiving. All the, the conversations around receiving generosity. You know, really taking that in. So there's a couple ways, you know, open to the, the resentment, also play with generosity for your own receiving it and other aspects of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank thanks. You. Thank you for asking that. All right, so thank you for all for your engagement and your questions. You could really see how uh, people's questions help to really flush out this topic. We start to, as a group, understand it in a deeper, more full way. And all the sharings are really, really last with us, help us grow in our own practice. So next week, uh, Tori will be back and she'll be, um, she might be offering a new talk or might do a recap, I'm not sure. And then I'll be, week, be back the two weeks later and I'll probably just do a recap of this talk to give us a chance to do some discussion around it, to engage around it. But I might be inspired and give you a whole new talk. We'll, we'll be surprised. All right, so thank you all and special welcome to the new people. And nice to see you here. If you have any questions or like to just chat, you're welcome to come up. And if you have a chance, um, offering Donna to Sims and to the teachers is very appreciated. We also could use some help taking things downstairs. Um, you can ask Adam about that. All right, thank you all. Nice to see everyone online. May you be well.